Well, good morning, church. Man, it's good to be with you this morning. My name is Justin. I'm one of the elders and uh, pastors here at Peninsula Grace, and it's sweet to be with you worshiping the Lord this morning. Uh, good to have the kids with you. Uh, and surprise, you had to stay and listen to my sermon. So you're welcome, young ones. Uh, so, we, man, we are, we're excited to jump into the text this morning, Exodus 21 through 24. We've been uh, just walking through the book of Exodus together. Uh, but I want to start by taking a poll question. But I need, if this is going to work, I need you to be honest. Can you all nod and say that you're going to be honest? We're in church. I just wanted to, okay. Um, so how many of you, uh, when you're signing up for something online, and, and you click on the, I read the terms and conditions, okay? Honest time, right? How many of you actually read the, the terms and conditions before you click on the, on the button. How, I knew there'd be a couple weirdos out there. We, will get, we have counselors in the back. Right? No, we, so how many, you curl up on date night, right? And you open your iPhone, you're like, let's just flip, oh, the software license agreement. So here's a strawberry baby. Like, we're just going to enjoy this time together, right? No, how, how, hopefully not. Again, weird. Uh, We've been walking through Exodus, and this has been an awesome time together, that we, action, adventure, there, there's been oppression, uh, and slavery, freedom, they're crossing through the Red Sea, the horse and rider thrown into that sea, yeehaw, God is showing himself to be the God of gods and the King of kings, there's been an awesome story, but now there's this record scratch in the middle of Exodus where, where we come to these terms and conditions in, in the law. And often, for many of us, this is where we kind of tap out in our read through the Bible in a year devotional plan, right? And you're like, I don't, I don't think so. Uh, this is, most of you are not reading these passages that we're going to look at this morning and go, ah, do not boil a, a young goat in its mother's milk. That just, just speaks to me, right? <laughs> many of you are, are not like, finally, right, the fine print of, of ancient Hebrew legal code. I've been wondering, what do I do when my oxen accidentally gores somebody? right? I always forget how many shekels that is, right? So how do we, but, but I actually, I, I think, I believe there is so much beauty about our God to behold in this text. And like all scripture, I think if we have eyes to see, Jesus is bleeding all over the pages, even that we're going to be looking at today. And my hope is not just to, to show you that, but also how to teach you all to fish, that we can learn how to open the word and see Jesus on every page together. And so one little way, as we are in Exodus 21 today, uh, we said last week, I'm not going to be having the main text up on the screen like we usually do. So I invited you to, to uh, any, anybody who felt shame for having a digital Bible, I apologize for that. Uh, that's the Bible too, okay? But, but I would love to have, if you have a print version especially, to bring those. If you don't have a Bible or don't have one here, out in the foyer to the left, there's a bookshelf full of CSB Bibles. You can grab one of those. If you want a Bible that's on us. You can just take that home uh, free of charge. So we're going to be in the text today, and we're going to look at three things about the case laws that, we're, that, uh, that we see. First of all, we're going to look at God's purpose for the law. Now, after the American Revolution, uh, the, the nation that was newly formed, free from Britain, had to ask the, the question, what comes next? Uh, in, in the words of King George himself, this is what he said. He said, you're on your own. Awesome. Wow. Do you have a clue what happens now? That, that he said, now that you're your own nation, right? America knew that they wanted to be freed from slavery. But now that we are a new nation, uh, how do we live? How, how do we govern ourselves? Well, similarly here, God has rescued Abraham's large family 
through the Red Sea from slavery to Egypt, and they become this brand new nation. But like America, they go, awesome, wow, we don't have a clue what happens now. But they're not left on their own, are they? That God himself is there with them, and he gives them this law that we call the law of Moses, how this new nation should live now that they are rescued to himself. Now, last week, we looked at Exodus chapter 20. We saw the Ten Commandments. And really, uh, this week, in chapters 21, 22, and 23, it's just sort of a fleshing out of those Ten Commandments and what that will look like in everyday life uh, for Israel. So how does God's character manifest itself through his people as they enter into this new uh, land that he's promised for them? Uh, if, if you want to make the, te- tease out the analogy a little bit further, uh, think about the Ten Commandments as the, the Bill of Rights, or the Constitution, and then the rest of these case laws laws is kind of unpacking uh, what that would look like. So three, three things that I want to highlight that I think the law shows us this morning. First of all, to show Israel how to show God's character, to show Israel how to show God's character. We, we believe the law is, is beautiful uh, because God is beautiful, and the law expresses who God is, that we see his character in the law it, itself. So the reason that there's justice is because God is just. That's why he loves justice. The reason that there's love being commanded of these people is because God is love. And he gave the laws to these people as light, as a path forward of how to manifest his character as they bear his image in front of a watching world. The second thing we see here, though, is that it's to show Israel how to accommodate for sin. So God wouldn't need to give them a law if they were already naturally doing these things. Uh, the, the, the law is given because they are sinful and are naturally rebellious to God's ways. Paul, thousands of years later, tells Timothy this is why he gave the, the law. He says, 1 Timothy 1, we know that the law is good when it's used correctly. Now, how is it used correctly? He said, for the law was not intended for people who do what is right. It's for people who are lawless and rebellious, who are ungodly and, and sinful. And we know this, right? Like, the reason we post a speed limit is because there are people who are driving too fast, right? Some of you sped on the way to church today, and I will give you a moment right now to repent of that. Okay. All right. Just the Holy Spirit doing his thing. Uh, it, 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 what, what's it there? It helps us restrain, right? Restrain reckless driving. So there's a consequence attached to speeding. There's a ticket. There's, there's a fine that comes to help slow us down and keep us safe on the roads. This was God's way of rendering justice when sin inevitably happens. So in the Ten Commandments, he said, do not murder. But now here in these case laws, he says, when This murderous people inevitably start killing each other. Here's what you do. And as you read through these laws over and over again, you see when, when, when this happens, this is what you do. Now, we have to see this. God is not necessarily advocating for all the situations. He's not advocating for polygamy. He's not advocating for murder. But he's saying when this happens, here's how you respond in justice. The third thing we see here is to train Israel in wisdom. It's important to understand that this is not just some divine blueprint that every nation for all time was to, to, to take into consideration. The, the, the wisdom and character of God here are being, what we'd say, historically contextualized. In other words, what does God's character look like manifest in ancient Israel? And that's why he addresses things like oxen and bride prices, things that we don't, we don't do in, in this day and age. 
There are, in the first five books of the Bible, we see 613 commands. But we have to understand, this is not an exhaustive list. There are many areas of life that that these commands that we read aren't going to specifically address. And that's why underneath these commands, there are wisdom principles that God is training his people to see and, and walk out. And that's for us today in Christ, because we're going, okay, well, we're not under this law. We're not ancient Israel. So what benefit for us? Like, if we're going to take what, what Paul tells Timothy seriously, that all scripture that's inspired by God is beneficial for us, how, what do we do with this? Well, in Christ, under the new covenant, there are still wisdom principles that we can live, learn from this. And one of the ways we know that is because the, the writers of the New Testament do that. In 1 Corinthians 5, when, when Paul's talking about church discipline, he, he references back to Deuteronomy 17 and the principle of, of purging the evil out from among you. Or in my favorite Bible verse that there is, right? Uh, in, in 1 Timothy, it talks about paying your pastor. Just so much wisdom here. Um, in Deuteronomy, he, he actually, Paul references Deuteronomy 25 that says, do not muzzle the ox. Now, that's not flattering to me, but that's okay. That he says, as the ox is, 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 is working, you're whatever, and he's pulling, I'm not a farmer, that take the muzzle off so that he can feed. If he's working, he's worth his wages, right? And so he applies that to what that looks like in in the church. And so we see these wisdom principles of what it looks like for God's people to reflect his heart. What we would say is this, the law, the purpose of the law, it can restrain sin, but it cannot produce love. The law can restrain sin, but it cannot produce love. Think about it this way. The law says, do not commit adultery. And there can be consequences for committing adultery. But what it cannot do is force someone's heart to be faithful in the heart toward their spouse, right? So being trained in wisdom is to look beyond just the prohibition and to say, what is God's heart in this principle? And isn't that what Jesus does when he teaches in the ser- on the Sermon on the Mount? He says, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery, but I say, don't even look at somebody else with lust in your, in your heart, right? Like, what does real fide- heart fidelity to someone else look like? And many of us, I think the problem is we say, well, if the Bible doesn't say specifically, like, black and white, that I cannot do it, then I can do it, and I will do it, right? The Bible doesn't say I have to come home every night to my family, It doesn't say I have to sit at the dinner table and talk to my wife. It doesn't say that I can't go into the living room and watch the basketball game with a bowl of cereal instead, right? That's going to work out well. But when we ask what we should and shouldn't do in life, we shouldn't ask how close to the line can we get. The question we should ask is, man, how can I best reflect God's heart and God's image in this situation? If we're just looking at how much we can get away with, I love how Bobby Jameson says this, that's not seeking wisdom, that's flaunting folly. I mean, that has been a conviction on my heart all week long, and I hate it. (laughs) So what we want to see is, man, how does God, through his law here, provide justice for his people, and then what is his promise of peace that we see from the law? Those are our next two points. First of all, God's provision of justice in the law. So we live in a world where, where we all are, are starving for justice. Think about, nobody had to teach you in this. How do you naturally react when you hear of a child who's being trafficked? How, how do we respond when we hear of an innocent woman who's being beaten or worse? How, how, how do we respond when we hear of someone who's been wrongly convicted of a, of a crime? 
Like our hearts are bent toward justice. If I go next door and, and pick up my, my 13-month-old Lucy in the nursery and I see some other punk kid push her down and take her baby doll, like I'm about to exercise church discipline on that kid's face, right? <laughs> like it's going to happen, right? All these rules in the nursery, I, I'll, be, I'll, be, I'll be good, don't worry. But that we, deep down in our hearts, we are created in the image of a just God. And so we want to see justice served. So right here in the fine print of Exodus 21, 22, and 23, in the terms and conditions, I think we see God's heart, and it's beautiful. We see a heart that longs to protect the vulnerable, the innocent, the defenseless, a heart that wants to see justice served, that, that, that restitution is paid where it's needed, that, that every wrong is righted, that, we, that his people live in shalom, that live, they live in peace. So we want to see three areas of justice highlighted in these case laws. The first one is retribution. Retribution, how to punish a wrong. Uh, if you look with me, you got your Bibles open to Exodus 21. We're going to look down at Exodus 21, verse 12. Exodus 21, 12, he says, whoever strikes a person so that he dies must be put to death. So here's the, what do we hear in that? We said this all kind of teases out the Ten Commandments. So I hear, do not murder, right? And here's the concept. When someone murders, here's what happens. You take their life. But he goes on. There's some nuance here. But, verse 13, if he does, did not intend any harm, and yet God allowed it to happen, I will appoint a place for you where he may flee. So if this was not intentional, there, is, there, are, there are ways to deal with that justly. But verse 14, if a person schemes and willfully acts against his neighbor to murder him, you must take him from my altar to be put to death. So you hear God's heart in this. You hear God calling, when there is a life taken, there must be a life given in exchange for that. But only if it's intentional. There are provisions otherwise. And what we see in God's heart, the God who created us in his image, who values our life, he shows here that if you take someone's, an image bearer's life, then you must, the justice here is that a li your life must be taken from you. And what we see here is a principle called proportional justice. Uh, we'll see here, that, that essentially means the punishment should fit the, the crime. So, so scan down to verse 23. And, and, and this is a well-known portion of this law. It says, if there's an injury, then you must give life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, bruise for bruise, wound for wound. Do you get the picture? So there's retributive justice, right? And, and what he's saying here is that it should be proportional that the punishment should fit the crime. But what's interesting here is in the very next law, he shows, he's showing the principle, an eye for eye, tooth for tooth, but that's not literally how he has them carry that out. Look at verse 26. When a man strikes the eye of his, female or, or his male or female slave and destroys it, he must let the slave go free in compensation for his eye. If he knocks out the tooth of his male or female slave, he must let the slave go free in comp uh, compensation for his tooth. So notice what he doesn't say. If you knock out your slave's tooth, you got to smile, and he's going to knock your tooth out back, right? That's not how he plays it out. He says, if, if you have treated them unjustly, if you have treated them subhuman, then you need to let them go. They make compensation, right? And their freedom for your mistreatment of them. What we see here is, is God is trying to limit, show his people to limit what we call retributive justice, that payback. Because here, here's the problem. He knows our sinful hearts. And the sinful heart of Israel, like us today, wants disproportionate justice, or what we would call revenge. So think about Cain. Like when he looks bad, what is, how does he react? He doesn't just make his brother look bad. He takes his brother's life. That is disproportionate. 
And then it just gets teased out with his great-grandson. Lamech boasts, I have killed a man for wounding me. That man wounded me, and I killed him, right? And, and this is what God is trying to limit. And so the, the wisdom principle that I think we need to see here is to actually love somebody, like the heart behind this is that it is better, better than trying to seek vengeance or take revenge is actually to forgive, the heart here, this is, this is law, this is a civil law, that he is limiting civil justice, that he's saying those who are governing, they can't, they can't bring in a bigger punishment than, than what the crime was. But what he's not saying is he's not mandating personal vengeance. This is not a call for us to all go out there and be Batman and take it into our own hands like a vigilante. I love what Sinclair Ferguson says, the real fulfillment was found in the man who did not seek revenge. Jesus taught the heart of this in Matthew 5. What did he say? You've heard it said, eye for eye and a tooth for tooth. What does he say? He says, let's look at the heart of this law. I say, turn the other cheek. Not only do you not have to exact, you were insulted, you don't, not only do you not have to repay for an insult, you can, you can actually just bear that through kindness and forgiveness. Don't seek to up the ante. Now, we see justice here. We are called to resist evil. So there are times when it is justice to pick up the phone and call the cops. There are times when we, we discipline our children. That's justice. That's actually for, we discipline those we love, just like our father does with us. This is not a call to be doormats. But what he's saying is that we need to think in our own hearts, and maybe for you this morning, think before the Holy Spirit, as he works in your heart, how have I been seeking revenge in spaces where I need to be letting go and forgiving? We see retributive wisdom here. But then we also look at the next one, uh, restitution. How do we pay back a wrong? How do we pay back a wrong? Uh, skip down to chapter 22, first verse. It says, when a man, so here's another situation, when a man steals an ox or a sheep and butchers it or sells it, he must repay five cattle for the ox or four sheep for the sheep. So we see another Ten Commandment being unpacked here, this time not to steal, but he says when someone steals. And notice he says when they steal that animal and sell it. They butcher it and sell it. So what do we see? This was intentional. He didn't accidentally take someone else's sheep. Like he forgot to check the tag, right? Oh, that's your sheep? My bad. Like he took someone else's and sold it. So really what we see going on here is that this person is enriching themselves at the expense of another. Taking from what is theirs to make themselves rich. And, and, but notice here, the payback is actually larger than what they took. It says five cattle for ox, four sheep for sheep. Sheep are getting slighted here. Ox were worth more back in that day. But what's he saying? You have to pay back five or four times what you stole. This is a deterrent from stealing. It wasn't just you have to give it back, right? You actually have to give back more. There were also provisions if it was intentional versus accidental, if you came and freely confessed versus uh, you got caught in the action. Wisdom to how to deal with those things. But the principle that I want us to look at here, how do we love? What do we see in God's heart? It's not only don't make yourself rich at the expense of others, but the heart here is that I actually need to learn God's heart of enriching others at the expense of myself, enriching others at the expense of myself. Paul teaches this in Ephesians 4. He says, let the thief no longer steal. So not only do we acknowledge the prohibition of not stealing, but he takes it into the positive. Instead, he is to do honest work with his hands. So, so what you have should be rightfully yours, right? But then one step further, here's why you earn, so that he has something to share with anyone in need. 
that really God's heart of generosity is I, even at sacrifice to myself, want to help those who lack to have what they need. So maybe this morning it's asking yourself, at whose expense have I been making myself rich? And that's not always monetary. Sometimes we laugh at somebody else just to make ourselves look smarter or better. I know some of you do that. I don't think I ever have. We were using someone else for our own benefit. And that is not the heart of our God. The third area of justice that he wants to talk about is reconciliation. How to make a wrong world right. How do we live in fairness? How do we flourish in injustice and equality? We see God's heart over and over again in these case laws. He's standing up for those that we would categorize as vulnerable and defenseless. So he's talking about the slave, the orphan, the widow, women, the the poor. And for example, and we don't have time to read all of it, but in in Exodus 21, 7 through 11, he talks about protection for women. Now you read through some of the specifics of that, and it it can sound still pretty backwater compared to where we're at in some ways today. Uh, But what we have to understand is this was written in a time where women had zero rights, zero protections, and what he's calling and how to treat men and women here would have been a total flip of the script and light in a dark, dark world at the time. But the one that we want to really just pause on for a second, I don't know if we can escape it. He says the rights for a slave. Now, that almost sounds like an oxymoron, right? Like, how, do you, how does a slave, how do you, if you, if, is, in, is God endorsing slavery and then, then trying to make up for it by throwing them a bone or two? Well, we, 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 there's a lot of nuance here that we can't unpack. But I want to speak to the fact that, man, when we hear that, we import, like, the past American evils onto slavery. Um, and in ways we've seen things in our nation that the word of God never endorses and actually completely condemns. This word here, though, that we translate slave, has actually only been translated slave for the last 50 or 60 years in our, in our, in our English translations. And it's actually probably, honestly, a better translation would be an indentured servant because that's actually more of, of, of how this played out. So this was, in, in some ways, a, a way to deal with, with welfare. If somebody was struggling financially, their crops went south or, or whatever, they weren't able to make ends meet for themselves and their family, they could actually contract themselves out uh, to somebody else. And basically, they could say, I will come and I, I will be your servant. I will work your land if you, in turn, will feed my family, pay my bills, uh, so to speak. So, so really, probably a more appropriate analogy for us today would be like when an athlete signs a contract and what are they, they're playing for, we call them their owner. And we understand that's contractual. The same in a military draft. In both of those situations, there was voluntary entry, and those people still have rights, but they have voluntarily surrendered some of those to the person that they are working for or serving under. What's important to see here, though, is this is not what we see today of of human trafficking and chattel slavery. That is not what was going on here. In fact, God explicitly condemns that. Look down in in 21.16. He actually says, he says, and I'm still getting used to this paper thing, so bear with me. Uh, He says, whoever kidnaps a person must be put to death, whether he sells him or the person is found in possession. He says, you don't get to steal someone, take someone else like they are now your property. That is not the heart of of God. And every, interestingly here, the second thing he says in regard to slaves is that every seven years, they have the opportunity to be set free. If they want to, they can keep working or they and their families can go and be free. So 
you might think, though, like, so God starts. He, like, here's how you're going to live as a holy nation. And he starts with slavery. Like, it could almost feel like a kind of a random, a weird thing to press in on. But think about it for a second. For, how has Israel been living for the last 400 years? That they had been enslaved by an oppressive nation. That's all that this generation and the many generations before them had known. And I think this is a sweet sweetness of the Lord to touch a very real and raw place for them as a people and, and to show them. And I love, look at what he says in, in chapter 22, verse 21. He's addressing, he's addressing this. He says, you must not exploit a resident alien, so a foreigner who's now living amongst you, or oppress him. And here's his reasoning. Since you were, a, were resident aliens in the land of Egypt says, you know what it's like to be treated subhuman. You know what it's like to have no rights and to, and to know nothing but oppression and hostility. Do unto others as you would have them do to you. The wisdom that we see here, as we seek wisdom and, and don't flaunt folly, is to care for the vulnerable, to care for the vulnerable. These laws, remember, were given to sinners who would take advantage of the vulnerable, vulnerable, but God's heart is to go beyond just not taking advantage and to proactively care for them. This is what James says, if you want to boil down what religion is, he says, pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. True religion, he says, is to care for the vulnerable, for the defenseless. So what does this look like? I think one way that we can press into this as a people today is to consider fostering and adopting. And I know as a church, we've been praying, how do we help take care of some of our own communities, weak and vulnerable, the orphan? You know, we're still learning about that. One small way we do that is we partner with Birchridge Community Church down, down the way, and we, we host their event through their ministry chosen. Uh, that one, first Friday night of, of every month, they have a, what they call a caregiver's night out. And so if you have a foster or adoptive ch- children, you can bring all your children, bio or non, uh, to, to the church and go take a date night, right? You can go back home and read all the terms and conditions of the case laws from Exodus. It'd be a sweet, sweet thing, right? But man, just a, a small way to how do we support families who are carrying out God's heart to, to look after the orphan and the widow? Where do we need to repent of places that we've taken advantage of the vulnerable and defenseless? And where might the Holy Spirit be calling us to take a step toward proactively caring for those people? The last point we want to see this morning is not only does God provide justice in these laws, we see the whispers of a promise of peace from the law. See, the law, it can serve justice, but what do we say? It cannot produce love in our hearts. But, but God's, Paul says in Romans 8, what the law could not do, weakened by our own flesh, from the problems of our heart, not God's law, what the law couldn't do, God himself did. How? Through the sending of his son. And I want us to look, as we land the plane here, how in those three areas of justice, we see them fulfilled in Christ and in Christ alone. The first thing we see is how retribution is found ultimately in Christ alone. So the law reveals that God is just and that he will punish every wrong that has ever been committed. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. But we might, I mean, you just open the newspaper today. And how many wrongs do we see that aren't right? How many things that should be punished go unpunished? We say, how can a just God allow this to happen day after day after day and still be considered just? 
when we lift our eyes to Calvary. And what we see is the innocent lamb, ironically the only one who, who lived in nothing but, but just, just ways as he lived his life here, was punished for our wrong. That, that a life was given for a life, just as God's law demands. Because as God, Jesus could pay a one-time sufficient death to pay for, listen, all of our sin for all time, for every single one of us. And it's easy to think with this. Yeah, there's a lot of wrong out there that, where justice needs to be served. But brothers and sisters, we've got to start by looking at our, at our own hearts. That we got to see, man, do I, do, do I see, do I trust that everything I have ever done and everything I will ever, ever, ever do has fully been paid for on the Christ, cross of Christ? And from that starting point, and only from that starting point, can I truly begin to forgive the wrongs that have been done to me and to others? Trusting vengeance is his, not mine. That's what frees me to forgive instead of going Batman on people. The second way we see this fulfilled in Christ is that restitution is too uh, found in Christ alone. So it makes sense that we don't get punished, right? The wrongs don't get punished because they were punished on Christ. But how does Jesus pay it back? So I, I think about the unimaginable. Someone hurts my daughter. Someone kills my baby girl. Even if that person dies for what they did, how does my daughter get justice in that? How did, the, only, the only way is to receive back what she's lost, right? Like to, to be restored, to be made new. That, that's the only place that justice and peace can both be found. But this, too, Jesus brings. Not only does he take the punishment, he heals. He, he makes the sad things come untrue. And where do we find that? We find that ultimately found in the resurrection of Jesus. That he's coming back to, to return life for everyone who believes in him as the living Savior. Like, resurrection life is, is promised to be given back. Like that's, this is the only place where we can find true restitution, where the wrongs can be ultimately righted. And how is this made possible? 2 Corinthians 8 tells us, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, for your sake he became poor. And here's the result. So that by his poverty, you might become rich. So Jesus carried out our God's heart as the law required for full restitution to be made, through his death, our life could be given back. That we see Jesus carried out God's heart from the law. That he, he not enrich himself at the expense of others. Jesus Christ enriched others at the expense of his own life. Through his poverty, we have become the wealthiest of wealthy. And then finally, we see how reconciliation is found in Christ and in Christ alone. So how do we live in a society like, that where we don't even need these laws anymore? 
How do we live in a place where there's nothing but peace? There's nothing but loving one another and loving God with all of our hearts. Well, we hear this echoed. And remember the, the, the law that he gave to them. He said, you must not exploit a resident alien or oppress him since you were resident aliens in the land of Egypt. You must not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. Because remember, there was a time when that was you, when you were the defenseless one. And for us too, we we had to see that, man, I was defenseless, standing before my God, a slave to sin and death. I had no defense. What was justice for me was eternal separation from him. Justice for me was death, not life. Wrath, not peace. But I was shown mercy. And Jesus teaches the one who is forgiven much, In other words, the one who understands their depth of their forgiveness is the one who will also be able to love much. Because when we see the beauty of the gospel and God's love for us through Christ's death and resurrection, it transforms us to be people who show mercy. I had a Bible school teacher named Butch. And when someone named Butch says things to you, you just listen. You just just do. Uh, Especially if he used to be a part of the mafia. You just listen and obey. That's just how it works. And Butch, he said, he said to us, I remember one time he said, um, man, he said, you might say, you're not that bad. He said, you're right. You're not that bad. You're much worse. That you are a blowout. He was from Jersey. He was, you are a blowout. He said, in fact, you don't even know how much of a blowout you are. But, thanks, Butch. That's really uplifting. But then he said, when we realize how much of a blowout we are, and then we also realize the depth of Christ's work to forgive us from that blowoutness. He says, all of a sudden, we start to see more and more room in our hearts for the other blowouts all around us. And it transforms me to be a person that's not just out there demanding my rights, demanding restitution, but as I see that God's grace has been freely dump truck poured out on me, I can become a person who freely pours out that same grace on the people around me. Listen, the day is coming, brothers and sisters, friends. The day is coming when there will be no more murder, when there will be no more abuse, when there will be no more jealousy, when the wolf and the lamb will lay down together, when God's law will be perfectly kept. And it's only in the gospel that we can find hope of a day coming when God will dwell in our land with us where justice and peace, justice and mercy will finally kiss. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word, even the terms and conditions portions, because we know that all scripture is profitable. So Lord, Would you just do your work through your spirit and your word this morning? That that you would start in our hearts where repentance needs to happen. I mean, we need to first see justice for us, for our sins, and that separation from you. And Lord, we've received mercy where we deserved wrath. In any place that we've thought otherwise, whether we've thought ourselves too sinful or too good, that you would, your spirit would work conviction into our hearts this morning and throw ourselves afresh on the mercy and grace of of your son Jesus and what he accomplished for us on the cross. Lord, we also lament the injustices that are going on all around the world today, done by us, done to us, done around us. Teach us to lament those things and to cling to the hope that there is a resurrection hope available to each of us, that our king is returning one day, that he is going to make all things right. 
And that hope in that day to come actually purifies us right now to walk in the heart of our God, the way that we pour out grace to those people around us. Father, help us to surrender all of ourselves to you as living sacrifices, trusting that you alone are the God of justice and the God of mercy. Father, here we are. Receive us as we are in and only in the blood of your Son, and it's in his just and merciful name that all God's people prayed and said, Amen. Amen. As we